Hey everybody, this is Warren Sharp, NFL analyst over at Sharp Football Analysis. I want to welcome you to the Ringer Gambling Show. Join me on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays each week during the NFL season with guests Chris Vernon, Ben Solak, and Joe House to guide you through the NFL betting landscape. We'll be talking spreads, game totals, parlays, player props, futures, and much, much more. Be sure to follow the Ringer Gambling Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your fantasy team, we know you personalize your entire day. That's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices may vary by state. Options selected by customer availability and eligibility may vary. It is the Ringer NFL Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Kevin Clark. Great show today. Big question. How is Sean McVay changing football? Now, this is a question that touches on every single team in the league. Um, It's about how Sean McVay's offense and Kyle Shanahan's offense proliferated through the league. Uh, What it means when an owner says he wants the next Sean McVay happens all the time. How defenses are adapting to that and how the Rams were built and what kind of team building lessons other teams can take from the way that they built their roster. Uh, Jordan Rodriguez of The Athletic, she covers the Rams. She's one of the best sports writers out there. She joins us to tackle the big picture philosophical question about what McVay does, what his coaches do, why he's worked, why some Sean McVay clones haven't worked. Um, Really interesting discussion there, as well as the broader NFC, talking a little bit about the Cardinals, some of the threats that the Rams have um, going forward in the NFC. And then Jason Fitzgerald, the founder of Over the Cap, joins us. A really interesting discussion, not just on how the Rams were built, but how some of the best teams in football are built this year um, and how they will be built this year. Uh, some Bills hype in there. Uh, some Eagles praise, Eagles fans, some Eagles praise about some of the contracts they've been given out. A really interesting discussion uh, on just how the best teams are spending money right now. Uh, so let's get to it. This episode is brought to you by Crown Royal. This NBA season, Crown Royal is celebrating the loyal fans that show up for every tip-off and also celebrating the people who drink Crown Royal during games. I know I like to have some around whenever I'm taking in a basketball game, an NBA game, always good to have around. And Crown Royal believes if you live generously, life will treat you royally. Visit crownroyal.com to get ready for tip-off. Please drink responsibly. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your fantasy team, we know you personalize your entire day. That's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices may vary by state. Options selected by customer availability and eligibility may vary. All right, Jordan Rodriguez, uh, probably one of the best, not probably, I'm going to take the word probably out of there, uh, one of the best beat writers in the country. She covers the Los Angeles Rams for The Athletic. Uh, She's written some of the best stories about football um, anywhere over the past couple of years, and we're so happy 
to have her here. What's going on, buddy? Hey, man, I'm good. It's nice to see you. Uh, I, I was earlier like very passive aggressively roasting you for your Miami sweatshirt. Uh, I think you took it as a compliment. Uh, it wasn't, but good hey, for you. Three, three point you. loss to North Carolina. <laughs> I've recalibrated all my expectations. That's a win for us now. Um, so no, it's good. It's good. The the entire um, the entire program is in complete disarray. I was just watching some NC State tape and texting with our buddy Will Brinson this morning, and I noticed that NC State is good at uh, screens in the quick game. So we'll probably lose by thirty points this week because our linebackers uh, are non-existent. So it's nice I'm, to look I'm forward to things. It's just I'm nice to look forward right to now. things. You know, I, yeah. I, I always find yeah. There you go. Anytime, anytime you're you're like, oh man, no one on our team can tackle these guys. Uh, that that's a problem. Um, so we're not going to talk about <laughs> Miami this weekend uh, as much as we'd like to. We're going to talk about the Los Angeles Rams and and just Sean McVay and the Rams' influence on the rest of the league because I think that it's been a meme now for a couple of years. Oh, if you know Sean McVay, you get a, you get a job interview. Um, and I want to kind of dive into what that means, why it's happening, and kind of the McVay effect throughout the league. And I'll start with this. You've talked about, and a lot of people have talked about, the idea that I think it was most common with the Brandon Staley hire um, two years ago that McVeigh had to go find his Sean McVeigh, and sort of separate from that is the the common refrain by ownership by other teams saying, "Oh, we want to find our Sean McVeigh, whatever it is." I mean, you know, for God's sakes, when Cliff Kingsbury was hired, the initial story on Cardinals.com <laughs> said he's friends with Sean McVeigh. Like that's all you kind of need to know. Um, what does that mean? What does the next Sean McVeigh mean to you, as someone who spent a lot of time around Sean McVeigh? Well, so I might twist your question a bit. Uh, Please do. I think, I think it means one thing to owners, team owners, what they think they're doing. And right. I think it means another thing entirely within the context of the Rams building. And I think the Rams and Sean McVay himself uh, is on the track of doing it maybe the way that would, would provide the success in that regard. Whereas maybe other people... Um, who have tried to sort of um, find their own version of Sean, usually off of his coaching tree, or uh, stood next to him in a hotel lobby once. I mean, I don't know. It's like it's it's it got a little crazy there for a minute, um, and I remember that press release very well. And it, it, it's, I think, what they think it means. What what owners think it means is obviously young, offensive minded coach who is a product of this system um, that, you know, I know you guys have talked about so well and at length and written about for years and years, the Shanahan McVay system and how it sort of pollinated from that and, and all, all of the people who go coach in it and, and more importantly, people who teach in it. But I think um, the teach part sometimes is where it's hard to qualify a person and, and maybe pick maybe the right person at times because that part of it maybe gets a little bit lost. And I think mm. with, with the Rams and with Sean McVay, the teach part is first. Instead of product of system, instead of uh, pupil of said coach, and therefore can apply the same principles into our building because we want that shiny object in our building, that offense and, and all of that. Instead, they go teach first. And that's what they saw. And that's what Sean saw when he sort of found Brandon Staley. And that's where I think the the main difference lies is not necessarily what what system you're a product of because right. Sean McVay was looking for a Fangio system coach, but he didn't go out and hire you know necessarily you know people who were directly. You know, he, Brandon Staley worked for Vic Fangio and a lot of the concepts right. obviously in his defense, 
were utilized um, out, of, out of that system, but he didn't go find maybe, um, you know, the, the, the popular name directly adjacent to Vic Fangio. Instead, he found a guy who went and taught the system to a bunch of Division Three guys at John Carroll. And instead, he went and found the guy who, who applied to or sort of spoke to him as a teacher first. And that's where I think you get some of that disconnect between, quote unquote, the next Sean McVay or dubbing someone as the next Sean McVay. The system works. We know that. I was just talking to a Ram scout who was laughing, saying now that he's back on the road post-COVID um, you know, restrictions, the first thing he hears from just people that he meets along the way is like, oh, we're running your offense. And we're doing it. <laughs> like, here's yeah. my resume. We're running your offense. You know what I mean? And But it's not... It, you can copy it in various iterations and phases. That's not really what it's about. It's how you teach it. And in the mastery of teaching it, how you can continue to evolve. And that's what he saw it in Brandon Staley was someone who mastered that, that Fangio system. Sure. But continued to evolve it and apply various principles to it in a way that would clash and juxtapose with what Sean wanted to do in a way that would then force a catalytic factor into the building and force that growth. And I think when you find these coaches that's what the Rams have gotten very good at doing is introducing catalytic factors into the, into these sort of existing systems. Sean McVay's offense being one of it. You can't just pluck a Sean McVay pupil and plant him somewhere and, and expect that offshoot to grow in the same way. If that same environment is not created around it. Has Sean McVay's, has his style changed as his influence grows? And what I mean by that is that, you know, the fact that everybody's running his offense now from, you know, the high school or college level, even to, you know, the, the obviously the his lieutenants who get jobs, you know, whether that's Cincinnati and Zach Taylor, whatever, it's everywhere now. Um, but that comes along with a couple of, I wouldn't call them problems because it's a nice problem to have, but there's some considerations. Number one is that you're churning through assistance all the time. Uh, number two is that the players who fit your system Maybe there's more competition for them. I remember asking Matt LaFleur this specifically and saying, hey, you come from a tree that has become extremely popular. Does that mean that if the guy's perfect for your system, there, there's six bids in where there used to be one? Um, has that changed over the past couple of years, the way McVay uh, attacks offense, the way they attack personnel? Is there anything that comes along with that uh, just because he's he's created a, a world of, of his own inside the NFL? Well, I think it, they see it sort of as advantageous, maybe less problematic. Although I guess, you know, if you're lower on the wire every year, like you're maybe not as able to claim some of these guys as say, right. the, the Bengals can place every claim on Sean Bengals, McVay, quote unquote, system guys. The Bengals are available guys, for claims. Right? Yeah, they, good, good for them. They, they get first pick on all of that. But, but I think they see it as more an advantage. And I, I would kind of flip that too, not to continue to twist your questions, but you Please see do. like when, when there, there are issues with, uh, players, defensive players, when there's injuries in and whatever, there are only really, let's say, uh, you know, the Rams are kind of dealing with this right now. One of their corners, Darius Williams, uh, sprained his ankle and he's out short, short-term IR. Well, you can't go pull, you can't go pull a corner from any, you know, a free agent corner from, from anywhere. He has to have right. had experience in Brandon Staley's system or, you know, Vic Fangio's system in parts. Uh, and those guys just aren't around. So I think it almost, you see it as, a, as an advantage. And instead, so the Rams promoted a practice squad guy who played really well last week, but still it's, 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 it's just a smaller pool. So I think when you have that wider pool, it's almost seen as a competitive advantage, but then where the Rams match this sort of coaching philosophy and widening that pool and sort of creating that, uh, that ecosystem and, and all of that, that it means, yeah. um, that they've started, they've matched their team build really well with it. 
so it, it's not necessarily, um, okay, you know, it's, we're competing for all of these different guys. It's that they've identified certain traits in the guys they do want as it pertains directly to their systems and the way they teach it, not necessarily, you know, the way Matt LaFleur teaches his things and the way that, you know, Zach Taylor teaches his systems and, and processes. It's more like we've matched, you know, they, they're quoting, you know, their, their quotation. And it is like, you know, you know, quote, we've matched our roster build with our, um, with our execution and the way that we teach things. And so, you know, it's, it's almost like they'd rather develop guys in house. And I think that's where yeah. they sort of differentiate a little bit, not just in the build, but also in the way that they apply some of that coaching. That's a great answer. All right. So let's get to this week. So it's Stafford versus golf. We think, we think it's going to be golf. Dan Campbell seems to be getting angrier and angrier at <laughs> Jared Goff. That pause, uh, Kevin, can we talk about that pause? That he took I, that in his press not, conference. I thought, oh no. Yeah. I mean, it's funny, but Dan Campbell and I actually spent a long time talking about honesty. And we were, I was in his office a couple of weeks ago and I was doing a piece and we actually spent a long, I think we spent like an hour together and 20 minutes was about just being brutally honest like Bill Parcells was. And I kind of feel like he's stuck in this weird place where he needs to be honest about golf's play, but there's no other options. You know, he can't go to David Bluff or whatever. Like, I, I don't, I don't know what you do there. Um, but let's let's put a pin in that for a second and, and talk about the Rams right now and what Stafford allows them to do from a scheme standpoint because that was the whole thing, right? It was a scheme expansion. When Stafford gets here, the dig routes now open. Like, there's just a million things that the McVay is now able to execute. Now that we've seen it for a bunch of weeks, Sean McVay is able to what with this kind of quarterback? relax a little bit more uh, <laughs> or no you know what here's here's what unclench that's the word that right, i just sure, use sure no so here's here's the thing there's two ma- major things that are really important to to understand and, and i love as a writer when the metaphor matches what you're like seeing on the field and and you can just use it right it, 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 he literally expands everything and it and it's right. directly applied and visible when you see them literally widening the field using all these empty sets they're just they're just, they're literally gunning it. Like they're in the gun and they're just throwing it downfield and they're taking a lot of yards where maybe they only need a little on certain third downs and they're just doing things. They're doing more things. They're widening the area of the field that defense have to cover. They're breaking zones. They're doing all sorts of things that they weren't previously able to do. And you could literally see as McVeigh got more and more frustrated his offense also started to literally compound. It was like the garbage shoot in Star Wars. You could see it just moving inward and inward and inward and inward and incrementally. And <laughs> his frustration maximized the more the smaller ball that he had to play and the shorter amounts of field that he had to work with. So now it's like, you know, free, you know, like it's just really everything is wide open and they're just getting the ball downfield and you can do it in a variety of ways. They're still using play action. They're using it as a tool and not a crutch. Um, they're still, they're running action out of the gun. They're not just running it from under center, which gave its own tells away. And again, compounded the walls were coming, the walls were caving in a little bit. And they're also doing, they're running a lot of, uh, similar concepts and designs, uh, out of a different pre-snap alignment. Like if you look at how some of these route designs and these, these concepts unfold downfield, they're doing a lot of similar things. They're just using more of the field to do it. And they can build different layers with different receivers in that way. Cause they're using more of the field. They're activating more eligibles. And then Matthew Stafford is, is getting through his reads and, and um, you know, doing different things with his arm angles that continue to add more and more adventures to the choose your own adventure pile. Right. And so I think that it's, it's something where as a coach, 
you now are just literally stapling pieces to your playbook, you know, line after line after line, week after week after week, because you, you, you no longer are, are saying in your meetings, we can't do these things because you're saying, why don't we try this? And I think that that's something that's a huge difference philosophically, emotionally, mentally, um, schematically, you can see it productively, you can see it. Um, and then the other thing that's really important, and I think it's the most important thing about this new era of McVeigh, right? And I do think we've entered one here this, this last um, off season and into this season as he's begun to work with Matthew Stafford and really a veteran quarterback for the first time in, in his career as a head coach. Um, he, he said something to me that was really, really telling. And I've been basically bothering him with this question since Matthew Stafford entered the league. And it, it was, it was essentially, what do you, what do you, what control do you see now when things break down? What control do you seed when things don't go right? Because the thing with Sean McVay is that he has to be, and this is how he is in the organization, it's how he is with, with everything. He has to be um, involved in it and, and in, in control and command of something in, in one way or another, right? What kind of control do you seed when the ball is, first of all, not in your hands, it's in your quarterback's hands, and you're now playing out of structure? How do, how do you react and respond? What kind of allowances do you give? How do you reassign the weight onto the quarterback's shoulders instead of feeling like you are the one doing it and, and then sort of flying and failing as the play goes. And then what does that limit you and how does that compound within your brain? Well, he, he, you know, obviously after six weeks of having a body of data provided via Matthew Stafford and what the Rams have done so far in this start um, to the season, you know, he, he now can better answer that question. And his, his answer was just really telling to me. It was like, it's easy to give up control because even if I'm wrong, he makes it right. He's able to make it right. And to me, that was the most telling thing of this entire situation of the last four years of anything. It's the most simplest, most telling statement of, of, of any of this and the biggest dynamic shift um, within this entire system and structure. Wow. I, I didn't see that. I want to ask you. So you mentioned the new era of Sean McVay. Is that all Stafford driven? Is he is he changed? Is is Matthew Stafford literally changed his life? <laughs> I mean, he kind of he kind of kept alluding to this over the summer. But no, I, I think <laughs> I think it's I think it's a lot of things. I think again, it, it, the Rams they introduced catalysts into their system. They created a, an ecosystem, and they mess with it a lot, right? They they sure. introduce they try things and they do things and they introduce catalysts and. And you didn't, Sean and Sean himself was a catalyst for them, right? But you didn't really see him personally doing that. And I think not just the way that that situation with Jared de-escalated and probably some hard lessons about like being a person that Sean McVeigh had to learn through that situation and publicly being, a, you know, pub, certain things that, that became public and, and all of that. Um, I, I think that you, you learn from that as you do sort of this third growing up that we do in our, in our thirties and our mid thirties. Uh, not that I've gotten there yet, but I assume it's coming. Um, but I'm sure you can speak I'm to there. That, I'm there, like, buddy. I know yeah. I was going to say I'm, I'm there and I'm not, I'm not totally sure if that happens for everybody is what I'll, is my comment. On right. That. But I think too, though, I think he, he, that, that building has become cohesive to, to the point where he's now become someone who accepts and allows those catalysts and actually manufactures those catalysts within his own life as well. And I think that's been a part of their model for, for a bit. Um, certainly was when they hired him and certainly has been since. Um, but he's, he's also applying that as well. And so I think that um, I, I would qualify this. I think you're, 
he values the quarterback position. NFL teams value the quarterback position over any other position on the field. So when you introduce a quarterback into your system who is of Matthew Stafford's caliber and also is collaborative uh, at a high caliber as well, um, I mean, Sean's calling him an extension of the coaching staff. So to me, that does usher in sort of a, a new era of doing things, um, sort of a new era of, of um, maybe how to be, right? And I think if you don't apply that, football is everything to him. So if you don't apply that to your life as well, um, then you, you become stagnant. I think that's his worst nightmare is becoming stagnant. Sean McVay is older than I am, so I wouldn't know anything about aging or any of that stuff or maturity, certainly. <laughs> um, I, I want to ask you about what would have happened here because Stafford solved so many of their problems, but the relationship with golf was off the rails by the end of, of the season last year and by the playoff time. If Stafford wasn't available, what would have happened? Could they have run it back with golf? Would they have just tried to find anybody? Would they have tried to get Carson Wentz or something? I mean, like what, what would have happened if this problem solver were not available? So what I do know about this uh, is, and I wrote about this before, uh, as the tra- as the trade conversations began to escalate behind the scenes, uh, obviously culminating in a very extraordinary Saturday night uh, in January, where I, I let I had opened a bottle of wine and it just stayed opened and undrank uh, through the next three days on my counter, <laughs> um, which is very sad. Um, sure. So, you know, it, it, it was that it, it had gotten to the point where they were going to be completely fine with calling it a quarterback competition between Jared and John Walford. Like, that's how, that's how much they felt in terms of, I mean, they were clearly in the market for a quarterback. Oh, that's that's how clearly in the market for a quarterback they were. And I don't say that to belittle uh, anybody. I don't say that to, um, you know... I wrote it back at the time, so it's not like sure. it's new- news or anything like that. But at that point, and I think you're seeing some of it so far as as Jared has maybe started the um, his his time with Detroit, is at that point they were so openly in the market for a quarterback that 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 was almost because that was an option. It was almost like that's that's never going to be an option because we're going to figure something out and make something happen. So it was almost like if, if, you know, in our, in our quote unquote worst case scenario, we're basically going to open training camp, like calling this a competition, open the spring, calling this a competition, which would have like really been, uh, I think frustrating and stressful for many parts of that organization, not just because, you know, their relationship had professionally deteriorated. And I think that part of it was because John Walford while a backup quarterback certainly was showing different things and doing different things in terms of coverage manipulations and trying to push push the ball downfield when sure. concepts were available. And I think that was what would have motivated that, less so than the status of a undrafted free agent versus uh, you know, a former first round pick. Did you have to throw out the wine? Um, I did dr- end up drinking the wine. I okay. don't recommend, uh, I don't recommend Yeah, I was going to say, that. that doesn't sound, <laughs> that reminds me. So I, I, as, as, as you know, um, I do a training camp tour every single year. And so I did, I spent three weeks on the road in 2019 and then I came back to LA and then I don't, I can't, you can't really drink on the camp tour because you're just driving all the time and all that stuff. And so I was going to have my first beer in like a month. I actually told the story to Zach Kiefer because he did an oral history of this night. Um, cause I'm going to get to something in a second. And so I was, I ordered my first beer in a month and we were at a bar watching the Florida Miami game. We're at the Miami bar, um, 
And as soon as the beer comes, I literally said to my phone, I was like, here's, here's the beer that I'm going to have for the first time in a month. I get an alert on my phone that Andrew Luck retired. Oh, and no. I was just like, great, cool. Just left the beer there. And we're just like, all right, cool. Restart the clock. See you next month, beer. It's been zero um, days without an incident. That's yeah. exactly right. That's exactly right. All right. Um, so this team was built in an interesting way. And we're going to talk about J- to Jason Fitzgerald a little later in the show about how they manage the cap and all that stuff. But I'm, I'm curious about how the team views the all-in philosophy, all-in in quotes. Because I've talked to people, I'm sure you have as well, where they say, actually, we're never all-in. We have more cap flexibility than you think, even though... We've we've traded these picks, um, even though we have top heavy salaries and all that stuff. Um, the aggressiveness has, has defined them, I think, over the past half decade, probably in the McVeigh era. And I'm curious um, how that's viewed in a season to season basis. The expectations, um, you know, whether they can get more aggressive next year, just keep trading those first round picks. How does that all play together, Jordan? Well, money isn't real, man. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that stadium costs like eight billion dollars. They can do whatever they want. Yeah, no, I it's it's been really fascinating to study, honestly, because um, it kind of goes back to what I mentioned with introducing the catalytic factors. Like they right. they they almost force them upon themselves. It's almost like, yeah, do I, do we have to trade this pick away? Maybe not. Let's throw it in there just to just to make things interesting for us, you know? And it's not really like that, but it certainly seems like that at times. And I think um, what they've done is, first of all, they've married the way that they see data and football um, as a blend with each other. Um, they've married that together well. And that works with their team build, uh, which I'll get to in a minute. And it certainly works with the way that they like to uh, develop players and keep them in-house within that ecosystem, um, which we alluded to previously. Um, But basically, they have discerned that at a certain number, uh, and it could even be through a full round, that first-round picks are somewhat overvalued. They believe that they will be winning enough games every year that they will have, if they were to have a first-round pick, they would have that pick uh, outside of the window where first-round picks are, quote-unquote, valuable. So because they feel that they've lost that dramatic uh, drop in value, um, they become better as trade capital in that sense, especially for teams in packages where that those other teams do find them valuable. Because as we know, there's somewhat of a, a shift and a chasm opening up in the league between teams and how they view picks and how they view cap and, and all kinds of things. So bundling them and using them as, as uh, capital for something instead of necessarily uh, finding players with with those resources spent, you know, and bundling those resources elsewhere into other things. Um, to them, that adds more value perhaps in the long run and particularly when they're building around core superstar players such as Aaron Donald and, and Jalen mm-hmm. Ramsey. And when they have such a top-heavy sort of productive roster, Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, Andrew Whitworth somehow still going, um, you know, even, 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 you know, and certainly on the back, on the other side of the ball with, uh, with Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, when you not only can use that capital to acquire proven talent as they did with Jalen, when you can use capital that you don't know how it, it, it's un, it's unknown acquisition, essentially, you right. can project how that first round pick will turn out, but you may be wrong about it. Well, you can, you have a complete sample size and body of data of what Jalen Ramsey can do. So you're essentially, um, 
trading something that you you maybe value less in your own building for a player who you value extremely, extremely highly. And so in that regard, I think that um, it, it becomes uh, much more, much easier to justify giving away those, those picks. Um, and, and in terms of the, the salary, I, I truly at times think that they don't believe that there is a cap. Like there is no, you know, they, yeah, the way that they structure I, some of these right contracts. They're right to do it. They're they, right to yeah. do it. It's fake. It's, and you know what, Jason, I'm, I'm so glad he's on today too, because he is so good at talking about this stuff. And yes. I've learned a lot from his, his coverage. Like it, it really is, um, the way that they, uh, prorate things, the way that they auto restructure, they have like, you know, auto restructures built in the way that they, they, um, just handle all of that. It, it, it just is all built around some of those core contracts, guys who are proven entities for them who they know will produce. When you do that, then the uh, higher sort of pressure comes on not only identifying talent correctly in the later rounds of the draft, but the ability to develop that talent. And this is where you start to see the pieces of the ecosystem intertwine again, because then Sean McVay, who identifies coaching talent extremely well, and also gives them autonomy to teach and, uh, you know, can't retain anybody for crap, but is certainly trying harder to do that <laughs> these days, sure. uh, especially some of the Staley assistants that he he really worked hard to to retain um, yep. this past offseason. Um, you know, guys who can teach, identifying them and then giving them the autonomy to then do so. Um, that's the part of the ecosystem that makes it okay to have 17 fourth round picks one year and no first round picks because in two years and probably less in, in certain cases, and they've been very successful at this in the last two years, especially, um, those players will be starting for you around quote unquote, core contract star players such as Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. Now that team build, then you start to see more of the links of the ecosystem connect because if you're building your team that way, you don't need to find another Aaron Donald with a fourth round pick. You need to find a guy who can do 10% of what Aaron Donald can do, but that thing complements Aaron Donald in a way that right. frees him up more successfully and more, more frequently on, on game day. You don't need to find Jalen Ramsey's playing like 15 positions for them right now as, as a star. <laughs> You don't need to find corners who can play, you know, all of the same positions that Jalen Ramsey can play. You need to find a up and coming corner who has length, who has explosiveness, who could play overhangs really well, and maybe one who is coverage versatile enough to, to let Jalen move around and rotate. You, he needs to do two things well, not five. So when you get to the this third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh rounds, your chances of hitting on those guys amplify and, and increase exponentially because you're looking for two major qualities. You're not looking for yeah. five. So that's how they've sort of bundled some of those resources in the initial phase that we talked about, compounded them into um, exactly what they want to identify and sort of gone all in, in terms of not just how you, they identify that talent and how they then develop it and, and all of that, but then also, um, you know, how that correlates with all the other pieces in their ecosystem and how they've, they've sort of put resources into that belief and into that model. And so you're seeing now um, all of those pieces sort of revolving around each other, um, sort of like cogs in this ecosystem, you're seeing mm -hmm. them all work together. And it's, it's like one, if one of those pieces, if, if they've got a year where their coaches aren't able to develop as well as they have been, or if they miss on right. several guys, then, then that, that's when you run into problems. It's not necessarily, does my bet on Matthew Stafford succeed or fail? 
um, it's so much deeper than, than that in terms of the team yeah. build uh, itself. And, and so I think that it's just, uh, it's been really interesting to cover. Not sure if I even answered your question. No, you did. Um, you but- <laughs> answered my next five questions. I want to get you out on this. Um, the NFC is a little different than, than we thought this year. Uh, yes. The Niners are not a threat, quite frankly, unless something happens, the Niners are not a threat. Um, the Cowboys are a threat. The Packers have some holes, but they are a threat. The Bucks are who we thought they were, in, uh, in Dennis Green's words. Who are the Rams worried about in the NFC? And, and, if, and if the answer is uh, vague, who should they be worried about? Well, I certainly, I mean, Kyler Murray all by himself, oh, I, I think. Is, totally. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oops. Oh, well, because none of us thought this so would be happening right now. Cardinals but... fans are going to be so mad at me. We're going to do a Cardinals <laughs> show next week, guys. Don't worry. Um, yes, the Arizona Cardinals are a threat. I, I'll put them in the threat category. Yes. Yeah. And I think, uh, especially particularly as, you know, those, those games count for two anyway, essentially, yep. uh, for the Rams. I think that's like number one is, okay, uh, we didn't do it the first time. How do we stop Kyler right. Murray the second time around kind of situation? I, I think they, the interesting thing is they very clearly understand how to play Tampa Bay. Um, yes. they very clearly understand the designs and the, and the, the things that work against Tampa Bay. Um, and in two years, a very similar game plan constructed against, you know, Tom Brady against that defense and, and all of that. Um, and, and I think it's really number one worry for them. I, I really think is the Arizona Cardinals. And I think that, um, especially in, you know, as we get into November, as we get into December, when some of these identity defining moments are happening, uh, it, it, it's harder to, sort of write off a, a loss to anyone in the NFC, but especially a loss in the way that they lost to the Cardinals in which um, Kyler Murray was just doing insane things that how do you, you don't, you could plan as much as you want. How do you even stop that? Right. And so I think that becomes, because there's no, there's no clear solution to containing him, especially when he can do what he, what he did against the Rams um, and very selectively picked his spots against them. I don't think mm-hmm. because there's not a clear answer, I think that's that they become the biggest worry for them. Uh, December 13th, they play again. I want to ask you, you know, even though Cliff was never on McVeigh's staff, they know each other well. And, and I'm wondering when, when McVeigh plays one of these guys, he knows really well, who's in the sort of extended Sean McVeigh universe, even if you can't call it. Three, <laughs> um, He's in the Sean McVeigh cinematic universe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, he's in, he's like cameoing and, in, in the, you know, in, uh, end credit scenes and stuff. He's not in the movie, but he's around. <laughs> um, I'm curious, how does Sean McVay tend to, what is his, you know, obviously the track record is one thing, but is there, does he tend to perform well against guys he knows well? Does he perform less um, well? I mean, like going against Cliff Kingsbury, a guy he knows so well in the division adds an extra element to this, uh, to this, I guess you would call it rivalry. Yeah. And I think, again, like, I think it's really him going against Kyler. I really think that. And I think it's him going against a version of Kyler Murray that he previously had not seen to this level. Um, And so I think that's, that's the biggest factor. When you look at some of the Rams games though, against like familiar McVay opponents or McVay guys, McVay cinematic universe characters, right. Uh, You see him kind of struggle at times with Kyle Shanahan, honestly. And, and you saw, the sort of epic battle, uh, you know, him and Matt LaFleur, all those circumstances, I think it was more like Staley LaFleur in that, in that situation. But, um, you, you've seen him stumble at times against those guys. And I think this is where 
you find out this this year is where you find out really um, how different these yeah. systems can become and how different, you know, obviously Cliff isn't running the same system as, as McVeigh, but in terms of the Shanahan stuff, that's where you find out where those edges are being found and where those little differences are maybe starting to evolve and become their own thing and sort of widen, as we mentioned before. Um, and, and I think really San Francisco, you know, they haven't beaten them in a long time. And I think really that's going to be one of the most telling sequences of, of this season. They haven't played them yet, obviously, and, and they will um, in a compounded space. And I think that's going to be one of the most telling series maybe even less so than what they're able to do against or not do against the Cardinals. Um, but more so how you, how you meet a familiar foe, someone who you literally did the first and second parts of growing up with. Um, and now you, you believe you're a different person running a different offense and, and how do you, um, how do you sort of expand on that and and turn it into a weapon and weaponize that instead of, um, sort of falling into that same habit and that same pattern. Read her at The Athletic. Listen to her on her Rams podcast. Um, she's everywhere right now. Jordan, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, man. Great time. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I wanna wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. All right, Jason Fitzgerald, founder of Over the Cap, uh, one of the smartest people anywhere on Salary Cap Matters. Uh, he writes, he has a podcast. I've learned so much, not only talking to him over the past couple of years, but reading him, uh, listening to him. Uh, thanks so much. So, yeah, thanks so much for joining us, Jason. I'm glad to be here, and thanks for the uh, nice introduction. Yeah, so I, I want to talk to you about you know the, the big picture topic on this show, Jason, is kind of how the Rams and Sean McVay are changing football. And we know so much about kind of the McVay effect in coaching. And, you know, if, you, if you've had a, a Bud Light line with Sean McVay at any point over the past five years, you've at least gotten a coaching uh, interview somewhere in the NFL. Um, but the way that their team is, is constructed, the risks they take, the dead money they've taken on is really counter to how most teams, I would say, not every team, but counter to most teams, how most teams run their their franchise. And I want to start with this because this weekend is golf versus Stafford. And we think it's golf. Uh, Dan Campbell is increasingly getting mad at Jared Goff, but we think it's going to be Jared Goff. Um, when that trade went through, what was the sort of your the reaction from a salary cap perspective when you look at quarterback movement, huge salaries being traded for each other, um, the dead money incurred, um, did did that? Did you think that was possible going into it that mega trade and sort of what does that suggest about the future of quarterback movement? 
Yeah, I, I don't think I was stunned by that one. I was more stunned by Wentz uh, uh, because the dead money was so much higher there. Uh, Goff's was around $25 million, which you know is a pretty big number. Um, so I, I wasn't really stunned by that. And I, I think the reason that the Rams did that and the reason that Stafford was probably the perfect target for them uh, I know a lot of people talk about you know Stafford being underutilized maybe in Detroit and the players that are there, but from a financial perspective, if you actually work out the numbers for what he is going to cost them uh, this year and next year on the salary cap, plus the dead money uh, that they were going to incur for Goff, that was going to be the same as having Goff for two years. Mm-hmm. And I think they had already soured on him enough to where you would say, all right, what are our options? Our options are to stick with Goff. That's not going to work. To go in the draft and find somebody, you know, we have a ready to win now team. And mm-hmm. we're probably not going to be able to do that. So I, I think they looked at that as just kind of a best case scenario for them was to to go after Stafford. And I, I don't think they value these draft picks that are more for the future. <laughs> I think they value everything for the present right now uh, with the Rams. What has allowed the what has facilitated, I guess, teams being more aggressive and getting rid of Carson Wentz when he has so much left on his contract, getting rid of Jared Goff, getting rid of Stafford. Um, is it just teams kind of evaluating salary cap a little more and thinking about it and saying, actually, we, we can carry this or we, we, it's worth this dead money? Um, is it something else? I mean, obviously, I think everyone had talked so much about the salary cap going up $10 million a year from, I think, 2013 onward um but that that stalled last year and i'm curious um just generally why you think teams find it acceptable now uh and and didn't in the past well the numbers have certainly gotten bigger and bigger uh i I think teams have in general managed their salary caps better to where every now and then you're able to kind of take these giant charges where you know in the past you weren't able to do that um that was a little bit harder but i i think when you look at teams like the Eagles and you look at teams like the Rams, and these are front offices that are better front offices in the league. I think there's a lot more thought put into it. Um, I think they just look at it as you're just chasing money at that point by sticking with a Wentz, sticking with a Goff. Like you, you tried it, you made a mistake. Don't compound the mistake by, you know, keeping on with it. That's what we see all the time with a lot of young quarterbacks. You know, they get signed to an extension and they're still not really playing well. And next thing you know, they're, they're going to be there for three, four years before you try to bring in competition or something for them. So I think these teams are just more willing to take a proactive approach and, you know, try to not have to go through this dolphin scenario or something where you just right. completely rip the team apart, tank, and don't go anywhere. I, With regard to the Rams, there's so many top heavy salary, I guess you could say, whether that's Aaron Donald, whether that's Stafford, whether that's Jared Goff, uh, and, and the dead money incurred. Uh, Jalen Ramsey, obviously, is another guy. And just the aggressiveness that they've taken to get these blue chip prospects. Are they a good franchise at managing the cap? I mean, when you look at this, do you get nervous? I mean, I, I assume sometimes you, I look at caps and I just, you know, almost want to you know break out in a cold sweat and saying, oh, man, if anything goes wrong here, this might be a problem. But when you look at the Rams and the way they've gone about it, Jason, are they good at managing the cap or is this a little bit risky? Well, I think it's definitely a risky strategy. Uh, right. You know, not not having the draft picks and going after veterans all the time is a risky strategy. But it, I, I think they've kind of mitigated that a little bit. Um, you know, Stafford's not that old. You look at a player like Jalen Ramsey, yeah, they did give a lot for him, but they got him with two years left on his rookie contract. There's a big right. difference with getting someone then versus waiting until they're 27, 28 years old and signing him as a free agent. 
I think they've mitigated some of the risk that's there. And yeah, they're, they're just in it to win it right now. Uh, you, you look at some of the other players on the team, like where they extended like a Robert Woods. Yeah. If you're going to have those kind of players under contract, you basically have to be a winning football team. I mean, that that's not the type of player that you want to sign if you are rebuilding. So I think given what they had done with their roster, maybe in part because Goff was on the team, um, you just got to keep going with whatever you can do to try to improve that mix and, you know, whatever happens two, three years down the line, you, you deal with it then. Yeah. Um, so just you, you have a really good feature on your site called Cap Texture, which tells how a team is built. Um, so they actually, the, the Rams actually, their heaviest concentration is in what's called middle tier money. They're fifth in the NFL middle tier money spending. They are dead last in what's called low money spending. So they're not getting a lot of bargains here. 18th in, in rookie uh, contract spending. And then fifth, not surprisingly, in dead money spending. Um, I want to, ask you about the concept of of being all in because this is a broad thing and everybody talks about it now maybe the first team to talk about it was the rams i think that less need compared uh the the way the rams were building to what the warriors were doing a couple of years ago was okay we're just gonna get as many stars as possible and figure that out um and i think that now that spread i think you saw some of that talk maybe with the eagles a couple of years ago um but just kind of the concept of pushing all your chips in and saying we're all in now the rams themselves have pushed back on the notion that they were all in and, and even that year that they made the super bowl everybody was saying they were all in and there were people who ran the rams who were saying no 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 no, we have more flexibility than maybe the media portrays um in your mind what is all in from someone who studies this stuff what does all in mean and and what teams are actually doing it jason so i i think if you want to look at a team that's really all in it's tampa bay buccaneers um right. You're looking at a team that has gone all out to sign as many players as possible. Now, in their case, it was re-signing guys, not going on the street and signing free agents or making trades. But they pushed so much money into the future for really what amounts to one year. Um, you know, they, these are all one-year contracts with a whole bunch of dead money that's going to hit their cap next year. In my mind, that's a team that that's completely all in. You know, m- most other teams do have some kind of flexibility. Um, that is built in, but teams like the Bucks, teams like the Saints, those are teams that have a limited flexibility. Those are the kind of teams that are really, uh, I think, all in on a given season. I, I don't know if the Rams really would be that. I mean, they're close to being all in with this team, uh, but they do still have flexibility with the roster, and they can kind of create cap room as well with the Stafford deal. They restructure it, or they, they finally, you know, they just decide to extend them after this year. Um. I want to, you know, sticking on the Bucks here for a second because that's interesting. Because listen, no one—if they win the Super Bowl again this year or compete for the Super Bowl, and they had last year, obviously, no one's going to care if if the Bills come due on that. Um, but are they a little bit screwed after this sort of generation uh, leaves? Probably so. You know, I mean, we all think Brady is ageless, uh, so may, maybe he really will be. Maybe he is going to play until he's fifty years old. And Brady's a big cure-all for everything, but there comes a point in time where they're just going to lose everybody. And the other players on that team are certainly going to get old, even if Brady doesn't. Um, So it, yeah, it probably depends on how much you value that one Super Bowl. Certainly if you get it this year, then, you know, I don't think anyone's going to care about it. But I mean, even if you go back to a team like Philadelphia a couple of years ago, uh, they won the Super Bowl, made a lot of risky moves that year. They've made a lot of risky moves, obviously, since then. And a couple of years after the Super Bowl, I mean, they're calling for the GM's head because of stuff that went on contracts and the way they built that roster. So I, I think that 
you, you don't get too much leeway with uh, most fan bases, but maybe in Tampa, you get a little bit more um, than you would in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. But I, I think in general, um, fans grow weary of it pretty quick uh, when the teams go bad. What's one spending thing over the past two years since, I mean, obviously things have changed so much because the, the good times sort of ended as far as the cap increasing. And it'll, it'll spike up again. And, and, you know, I think some teams are thinking 2023. We'll see about that. But what's one spending trend that we're not talking enough about at this point, Jason? Well, I think one of the things, and this is beneficial for the players, and I guess in part this is going on because of COVID, which, you know, has held this salary cap down. You are seeing more and more teams go back to these old mechanisms with option bonuses yeah. and very large signing bonuses and really pushing money out into the future um, of the the contracts themselves. That's something that really vanished probably in 2013 and didn't really come back until maybe 2019, but more so 2020. And I, I think that's just going to be something that's interesting to watch. Um, I think that's one thing. And I think the second thing is in terms of managing the salary cap, the Eagles are doing some really cool stuff right now with things that they're doing to try to um, basically manipulate the way that they can release players. You know, they, they've hmm. made they, they've made a little bit of a mess with some of their contracts. I think everybody knows that. <laughs> I've noticed. Um, yeah. And when you look back at players like an Alshon Jeffrey, who was there, it was going to cost them a fortune um, to release him on the cap. Yeah. And obviously he, he had to go. They were able to basically get him, you know, more or less because they, they want to, the agent wants to keep a good relationship with the team to restructure a deal that allowed them to use a June one. And basically it allowed them to keep a really low cap charge for him this year and then extend that over two seasons that didn't exist before. And they were able to do that with two players last year. I think it was uh, him and Vinny Curry. Now they've gone a step further and they're actually planning this out. And they did it with Fletcher Cox this year. They restructured his deal to bring his cap number down this year, bring his cap number down next year. And next year they'll have an option. You know, Do they want to release him and do a June 1 cut? And now it's actually feasible that they could do that. Before they, mm-hmm. it wouldn't have been feasible. Uh, and now they, they also have an option to, you know, do they want to extend him? Do they want to just let him play it out then let the deal void out? At which point, again, they threw in another June one potential that didn't exist before and they're getting ahead of it. And at some point, the other teams in the NFL are going to catch on to this and you're going to see more and more teams do it. And I think it's a really creative way to, to manage what are bad contracts. Um, hmm. And not necessarily a bad contract because the player is bad. You know, Fletcher Cox has been a really good player for a long time. Um, but the way that they've done that contract for having to restructure, 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 restructure for cap relief, it turns it into a bad contract at some point. And I think it's really neat uh, what they're doing there. And I, I'm just going to be curious to see if other teams pick up on that and start to manipulate the cap that way so they can use some of these rules in the CBA most teams aren't able to use. I'm obsessed with the next question because I've asked a bunch of people in the NFL and they don't know the answer, but I think you're going to know the answer. So every time there's a quarterback that gets paid, we start the clock on when that person becomes a bargain, right? And and with when it was 30 million, it was, oh, no one can ever make 30 million and, and be a bargain. And then everybody started making 36, 37. When does Patrick Mahomes become a bargain? And is he already a bargain? 
Well, he's definitely already a bargain. I mean, they they <laughs> signed him for ten years. I mean, that that contract made no sense at all. That's uh, that's one of those deals that was done for, I guess, legacy purposes. That sure. you're just hoping that the Chiefs can create this super team around them to where he's looking at the, this incredible Hall of Fame career. I mean, that 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 contract's just ridiculous. I, every agent in the league had to be mad when that uh, that contract got signed. <laughs> um, so I don't know though when that number is going to get surpassed. You know, that right. that's the that's kind of the interesting thing. Um, Aaron Rodgers was a block on the salary on the the contract market for quarterbacks for two or three years. Um, so I, I kind of feel like that forty five number. It's almost like a little bit of a magical number that I think yeah. could be there for the next a couple of seasons. But then at that point, um, you know, that's when the the Josh Allen's of the world and. Uh, that group of players probably get surpassed. Maybe that's the the Justin Herbert group that uh, when they get mm-hmm. extended, um, you know, a couple of years down the line yeah. where they start jumping in at 46, 48, and then you'll have the first $50 million quarterback. And that's the point where those guys officially become like a bargain um, beyond just the fact that they they signed for so many years with the, their current franchises. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's fascinating because there's – you know, at at some point, I think the, I agree that the Herbert wave is probably the wave um, where it gets taken over a little bit. Um, but I, I just can't kind of can't wait to see it um, with the cap spike in a couple of years. What are teams doing right now? Um, because there's so much uncertainty. And I, I'd asked, you know, as Brandon being this question a couple of weeks ago, you know, you're negotiating with a quarterback and you don't know what the cap will look like in two or three years or if it'll explode or whatever. Um, tell me what how teams are adjusting to so much uncertainty, knowing there will be a spike at some point, but not knowing when and and, and kind of what it will be. Well, I think the first thing that you can see is the way they're structuring their contracts and kind of what I talked about before about using those right. option bonuses and everything. They're pushing money into 2023. They're pushing cap charges into 2023. They're paying the salaries now to make sure the players get signed and they have it ready to hit in 2023, whether it's going to be as dead money if the player is not on the roster or just as a very high salary cap charge if the player is on the roster. So I think everybody is planning for that. Um, you know, I, I think if you negotiate with a with people right now, I, I think you're basically just going to base everything on kind of on the past and try to use that to your advantage. In reality, the, the cap is going to spike a lot more than in the past. Um, you know, it was $10 million a year, uh, which you'd mentioned before. That's probably going to go up to like 15 million a year. And I think in 2023 itself, you'll see, you'll probably see, a, you know, maybe a $20 million spike or something like that. Um, that, that was kind of what happened before you know you, you had a very stagnant salary cap new television deals came in and it spiked it probably around 10 and then it was a very steady um flow past that point so i, I kind of think something similar will happen here uh but i i think teams are going to try to use that uncertainty more to their advantage um and you'll have agents that are just going to have to decide whether they want to wait it out um you know and if the players want to wait it out a lot of them don't uh and see if that money gets larger and larger but Kind of based on the way that I, I think teams are pushing money into 2023, I don't think you'll really see a bigger spike in contracts other than maybe maybe a little bit on the, the back end of your quarterback deals. Um, I would think probably not until 2024 is probably when you, when you really start to see the impact on um, actual rising across the board of uh, player contracts. All right, Jason, one of the things I'm fascinated with is when there is a kind of in hindsight, I guess, when you're playing around with your website, looking at previous juggernauts or 
looking at previous Super Bowl teams and you say, oh, of course this team made the Super Bowl or of course this team won the Super Bowl. Oh, they had this guy on a cheap contract. They had this position group where everybody was cheap and the roster just makes sense from a team building standpoint. And and we're going to look back on it and say, oh, of course. So is there a team right now, Jason, where in 2021, we're going to be looking back on it in a couple of years and saying, oh, so many pre-extension guys, so many guys on below market deals, they were able to stack talent there. Uh, just a team that has impressed you with how they've gone about it. Buffalo. Uh, um, I don't I don't think there's any hesitation in that. They've uh, they've done it in a different way. You know, you mentioned the Rams doing it in a different way. Buffalo has done it in a different way as well. Uh, they, they have a lot of guys from outside of the organization, uh, not as much, you know, kind of homegrown players as you would expect. Uh, but they've done a tremendous job, I, I think, with the, the way they've structured their contracts. I, I think getting ahead of... Um, getting ahead of the market on extensions. Uh, I think they've just done a really good job with that. They somehow got their quarterback to agree to a contract that's uh, six years in length when everyone else is at four. So, I mean, they're in my mind, that that's that's like the ideal front office for everything right now. Um, no, now, maybe it'll be a different opinion three years from now if uh, Josh Allen, for some reason, falls apart again. But uh, right now, I, I think that's like the model team when it just comes to everything that they're doing um, they're, they're right now, they're, they're just at the top of it for me. All right, Jason Fitzgerald, founder of Over the Cap. Uh, read his website, listen to his podcast. He's a Jets fan, and he's talking up other AFC teams. I know that must hurt, buddy. Uh, I, the, the, the Jets are a lost cause, so he, I, I can be uh, I can speak nice about pretty much any team in the AFC East because the, the Jets are just done. They're, they're dead to me almost. <laughs> All right, thanks for stopping by, buddy. All right, man, take it easy. Thanks to Jordan and Jason for joining us. Next up on this feed, Nora and Mal, they're doing a mailbag on Friday. Ben Solak, Kalen Jones, and Stephen Ruiz will be on this feed. Special thanks to Stefan Anderson for his production help with additional production supervision by Arjuna Ramkapal. I will see you guys on Sunday. This has been the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans at Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York, we want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.